Well, we are continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. We're returning to the theme of Christ, culture, and church. Because as we will see as we continue in this book, that they were wrestling with culture. They were wrestling as a church, and they were, Paul was seeking to get them to put Christ in the primary spot of their church. And the truth is that Corinth is a very good mirror for us in the Western world. Whether we'd like to agree with it or not, much of the theme of, for, of Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, strikes true for us in the Western church. Sometimes it's like, yeah. Sometimes it's like, ooh. Today, it's one of the oohs. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will speak through your word, the living, active, breathing word of God. We thank you for this word. We thank you for Paul and how your Holy Spirit led him along to write these words, not just to the Corinthians, but to us. For your word is still alive. Your word still speaks today and will forevermore. Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. Open our ears to hear what you have for us and open our hearts to do the difficult work that the Spirit calls us to. May it not just be for information, but for transformation. Amen and amen. When I was a young man in ministry, I started pretty young, and I was in, in an internship my sophomore to junior year with a, a great guy named Nick Simpson. He was a youth pastor at a church in Bedminster, which is, you know, where the Trump golf uh, course is, as well as all kinds of equestrian stuff happens there all the time. And those of you who don't know what equestrian means, like I didn't until I was there, is horses, right? Just horse stuff happens in Bedminster. Well, while I was there, uh, I had two mentors. One was named Doug, and he was kind of my supervisor, and then Nick was my other supervisor in the ministry. I worked in the Metro District office with Doug Bortner, and he and I would gather together for a meal where he could speak instruction and truth into my life. And I remember one time we went into the Palisades Mall in Nyack, New York, and we sat down at Stir Crazy, which is a Chinese restaurant there, Americanized Chinese. And as we were at the table, I was sitting there having a conversation with him, and I thought it was going pretty well. Uh, you know, he was giving me encouragement, saying that I was doing a pretty good job. But then he asked me this question, and many of you, I've shared this story before, but he asked me this question. He said, Marvin, do you want to be a good pastor or a great pastor. Now, I thought he was setting me up for, uh, to tell me that I was going to be a great pastor. And I thought, this is going to be good. And I was like, well, Doug, of course I want to be a great pastor. And he said, well, you're not quite there yet. He said, there are two things that you need to deal with. Your pride and your people-pleasing. And so I want you to have two action steps. The first action step is I want you to go to counseling. And then I want you to take personal spiritual formation with Ron Walborn at Nyack College. You make sure you take that class as one of your electives. And I left that, that, that meeting thinking, what is going on? Like, so I call Hillary, right? She's my fiance. She thinks I'm awesome. And I share with her what Doug said, and she's like, oh, I agree with that. 
nigga need counseling. It's like, yeah, you need counseling. And then I call my dad thinking, my dad's going to back me up on this. My dad, you know, he's excellent at reading me and knows um, how awesome I am. He agreed with Doug. So I realized in that moment, man, I am wrestling with pride and people-pleasing, and it's evident. It's not just an internal thing. Like, this was coming out where people who were loving me and encouraging me to grow saw it. And I was realizing the truth of what St. Augustine said when he said, Pride is pregnant with all the other sins. And I have to agree with that. Because my pride was leading me to entitlement, which led me to all kinds of other, you know, secrecy that I was living into. Things that I was just allowing to come into my life that I hid and no one knew about. And it all started with my pride. And I wanted to please people because I wanted the accolades. I wanted the pat on the backs. I wanted the attaboy, Marv, you're doing an excellent job. And if I could make people happy with me, I would constantly get affirmation. But that all started with a heart of pride. You see, I think we all struggle with pride in our lives. In some areas, more than most. In some people, like me, more than most. We struggle with this pride and think that we are where we should be. We think that we have arrived and we begin to be self-sufficient. But this is all self-deception. Today's sermon is the folly of self-deception. And we'll see how the Corinthians were deceiving themselves, thinking one thing and living into another. Now, we already sort of unpacked a little bit of this, but now Paul is going to begin to go deeper into what he means with their folly of this world's wisdom and their folly of living into what they thought was the right type of spiritual living. And he'll continue to go after them. Take them at the root of the issues, and he's going to do the same with us. And so he's getting them to drop their prideful self-deception and embrace the truth of Christ. So the question we have for this morning from this passage is, how can we drop our prideful self-deception and embrace the truth? Today we'll look at a semi-short passage in 1 Corinthians Verses, chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. So if you'd open up your Bible, please turn there with me. Open there with me. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Man, for the word of the Lord. You might not see how deep he is cutting on this idea of self-deception, but he's cutting very deep. I believe he gives us three areas of life that we need to drop in order to let go of our prideful self-deception and embrace the truth of what Christ has for us. 
And the first item to be dropped in our lives is secularization. Say that ten times fast. We must stop the sway of secularization within ourselves and the church. We must stop the sway of secularization within ourselves and the church. You see, we have been talking often about the wisdom of this world that Paul is consistently pushing back against. In the beginning, when we were looking at this, there was a surface level that Paul was bringing. Now he begins to push deeper into the idea of the folly of self-deception. He labeled a couple of the things that the Corinthians were living as wisdom for in their lives. But now he cuts to the heart of why they're doing what they're doing. They are allowing the secular culture to invade and infiltrate their church and their own lives. Because in this Roman era, they prided themselves, the Corinthians did, as a, as, a, as a town, as a city, as a Roman province. They were pushing back against their, their Greco history and embracing all that Roman culture had. And we'll see the, the late, later the sexual ethic that they were living into and all kinds of other crazy things. That's why that series is going to be called Crazy Christians. Wait for it. It's coming. But here he begins to dig into the secularization of what they have already been embracing, and that is this ideology of wisdom, that this, this wisdom is all that is important for you to have. The, the right teacher would give you the right in with the right crowd, and all of this teaching was antithetical to Scripture. And here Paul is pushing back and saying, you have been foolish you have deceived yourself because you have allowed the secular world to invade the church, Christian world. Not only personally, but corporately. You are a secularized, culture-loving church. See, there's a little bit of a mirror that we see right now. Amen? Right? This is something that is pushing back against us as well. He was saying that the cultural ethic of your world might look very wise. And the Christ ethic, the Christ-centered ethic, might look foolish. But the way in which we're called to live our lives is to look foolish to the wisdom of this age. You've probably heard that phrase before, the wisdom of this age. That is a constant theme that we will see through what Paul is talking about when it comes to secularization. Winter, he has this book that I had to read for my uh, Masters of Divinity, and it actually blew my mind. I, it was one of those books that when you read it, it it's, it's so groundbreaking. And it's called When Paul Left Corinth. And he talks about the secular ethic invading the Corinthian church, and he digs into every aspect of Paul's statements of secularization, beginning with this one. Winter says, after Paul left Corinth, Christians shaped their responses with him, Apollos, and one another in the same way that secular disciples did with teachers and fellow students. The church was embracing culture. Now, we talked early on in this series about how the church is not to embrace culture, but to become a countercultural place. 
We are to be a place that does look weird and awkward from the outside, where the culture at large will look at us and say, you guys are different. I hope that they would say that. But too often, they're like, you're just like us. Pound it. Yeah. But that's not the way we're to live our lives. We are to be countercultural. But what this cultural invasion was doing for the church was creating a divided church. Remember, they were fighting over who their teacher was. And they are later, we're going to see how they were fighting about their spiritual gifts and how important they were and how popular they were and how wise they were walking around thinking, well, if I follow Apollos, I'm way wiser than those who follow Cephas. This was their attitude, and it was invaded upon them through the secular division. This division was living rampantly in Corinth, where there was all kinds of stepstones and classes, and, and whatever the division could be, it was created in Corinth, and it was invading the church, because culture seeks division, while the Spirit seeks unity. When the secular culture invades the Christian church, the result is always a divided church. Whenever secularized culture invades the church and creates division, the enemy wins. Because if they're too busy fighting one another, they're not doing anything to push back the darkness of the enemy. And God is saying, we are the light. You are to walk in the light. As I am the light, I am giving you the light to walk into the world, to be different. But we stay away from the darkness because we're too busy fighting one another. The enemy will always create division and never unity. And he utilizes culture to do the very same thing in our midst. I wrote this down and I thought it was good. Paul was essentially stating, you run around thinking highly of yourselves, but to God, you look like idiots. That's what he's saying. If you dig into the Greek, he's not being gentle. He is name-calling a little bit. He's like, you guys are so foolish. You're deceiving yourselves. You think that you're high and mighty. You think that you're doing great things for the Lord, but you're a bunch of idiots running around fighting about stupid, insignificant things because the culture has invaded your hearts. Ooh, this is not fun. This is not fun. Garland, a commentator, says they may hoodwink themselves and others by posturing as wise according to the faulty standards of this age, but they will not fool God, who sees them as they really are. When we allow the cultural narrative to invade our hearts and invade our churches, we are running around similarly idiotic like the Corinthian church. And we're pushing back a bit against the wisdom of God that would seek to change and embrace the culture with which we live in. If you really want to push back the darkness in our culture, you first have to push back the darkness in yourself. We have to allow the Spirit of God to bring unity among us as believers, not just our church, but the church but we live in a divided world, and the enemy is winning. Paul had to knock them down a few pegs where he says, you're deceiving yourselves. 
You're living and walking in self-deception. One commentator said Paul knew that focusing on their own knowledge as a key to their spiritual standing, they avoided involvement with the amazing power of God. Not only were they not pushing back the darkness, but they were not embracing the fullness of who God was and what God had for them. They were content to just be cultural Christians living in this wheel that they saw in their city, rather than being different. They felt that they had made it. They felt that they were spiritual. But man, they were far, far from the mark. Swords, another commentator says, thinking themselves wise, some Corinthians were fools, for their wisdom caused them to scoff at or ignore the wisdom of God that was revealed in the cross of Christ. By embracing the seemingly foolish wisdom of God, they would become fools to the world, but wise in the sight of God. They, like me, were wrestling with pride and people-pleasing. They did not want to lose their status in the city. They did not want to lose their status as they went into the church, because If everyone in the church is equal at the foot of the cross, no one is more important than anyone else. And if you're the boss, if you're the man, if you're on top of the social structure in your city, to step into a place where someone who could be equal to you, that's a servant, no way. We got to rearrange this hierarchy. We might not say it, but sometimes we think it. We might not even know that we're living into it. But we stick our noses up at one another who have different ideas, who have different jobs, who have different thoughts, who might watch different things or engage in different areas of the community. We might have a sense of superiority. And this, my friends, is foolish. For no one is better than anyone else when we come to the cross. We're all dead people who need a living Christ to make us Alive. Paul in this statement is hearkening back to his previous statement, which Pastor Mike preached on, which is the folly of the cross. He's like, listen, the wisdom of this world would never say that a God would die for his people. That would never be a statement that Roman or Greeks would ever say. Because if you were entrenched in the Greco-Roman society, their deities demanded obedience And they would create chaos with disobedience. If you disobeyed Zeus, he would cause issues. If you disobeyed Poseidon, you could never go on the sea. You better not try because the gods are mad at you. To have a god who would step down and die seemed idiotic to the world. But you and I know it's the truth and the power of the gospel that we are saved unto him, and he has even given us the Holy Spirit in order to live the life with which he's called us to. We must become humble and not live in arrogance because pride blocks our ability to hear the voice of God. God was speaking to the Corinthians after Paul left Corinth. He was still speaking to them. 
but they were listening to the secular culture around them. They wanted to be in a status-driven hierarchy at church. And in their arrogance, they stopped listening to the voice of the Lord. Because the voice of the Lord does not just bring encouragement, but often we will experience the voice of the Lord bringing rebuke. We can't be rainbows and unicorns all the time because the Bible's not rainbows and unicorns all the time. Yes, we talk about grace, but we also see the importance of dealing with our sin. There are things that we allow to infiltrate our hearts and our minds that are antithetical to the Scripture. And pride will hinder us from hearing His voice. We see in this that those who perceive themselves as wise, so wise in fact, that they might even stop pursuing the Word of God or the voice of God in their lives. They thought they had arrived. And here Paul is calling them out on this. I want to show you a recent meme on the back screen A recent meme has been going around social media that states, if Paul saw the church in America, we'd be getting a letter. How many of you guys have seen that meme? Right? Now, it might be a silly meme, but I think it's true. How many think it's true? Yeah? Right? Everyone should raise their hands if we're honest. (laughs) We need him to call us out, the Lord. We each have our own blind spots. And Many of us, if we were to look at the sexual ethic of our culture, would know that there is an antithetical narrative going through that has begun before even we get to here. When we were okay with premarital sex, when we were okay with stepping back and not looking at adultery the way that we had before, we began to open the door to a very dangerous sexual ethic that now is uncontrollable in our culture. It's, it's, it's on us because we open doors to allow things to transpire in our churches because we were secularized. Now, Paul will specifically talk about the sexual ethic that was going on in Corinth. And, and I'm telling you, if you thought things are weird in American culture with a sexual ethic, When we get to crazy Christians, you're going to see Corinth was a hot mess. Corinth was weird. Things that we would never even think about with a negative sexual ethic. They were just like, have fun. It's it's intense. And so if you have children and we go into crazy Christians, you hear that word, you hear that series, it's going to be intense as we walk through a negative sexual ethic. But... As Pastor Rock used to say, if a church is not prophetic, it's pathetic. We know all of the different things that culture has infiltrated in many of our churches. And when we don't struggle with certain areas of culture, when we know that we are antithetical to those things and we blockade them, the negative sexual ethic that we see, the negative uh, moralistic ethic that we see in the world, it's easy for us to say, yeah, that's bad. That, we need to push that away. But there's also prophetic word in here for us as well who don't struggle and wrestle with those things because the American church on both the liberal and the conservative side have allowed a secularization that disgusts God. And 
the prophetic word that I think is for us in our blind spots when we look at this is how much division we have allowed among ourselves, even in the conservative evangelical church. Think about the things that divide us. Think about the areas that bring us an ideal of superiority. Maybe it is your class. Maybe it is your ethnicity. Maybe it is your political persuasion. Maybe it is something else that you are pushing against other people who say, I believe in Jesus, but they have a different take on something than you do. And you say, "Mm -mm, we're divided. You see, the enemy will always create division, never unity. Now, there are certain things that we must draw the line on. When it goes against and is antithetical to the Word of God, we stand upon the Word of God. Amen? But these other petty things that the culture is invading us with, the division that we see in our world should not be the culture of the church. Because when the enemy can get us fighting amongst ourselves, we miss the bigger mission. And it has broken my heart time and time again as we see this happen. My friends, we are going to start another very divided, very heated election cycle. Hate should not be a response. Challenge, rebuke, absolutely. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But when we give in to hate, we walk away from the love of Christ. We are to love those who hate us. We are to speak blessing over those who curse us. Talk about a difficult thing that Jesus has called us to To claim superiority over anyone when we come to the foot of the cross is not from Jesus because we are all equal. We are all sinners, broken and dead. And we can disagree without dividing. This is one of those things that our culture has told us is a lie. We can disagree without dividing. I can disagree with you about the New England Patriots. And although I want to divide from you, I won't. Because now they stink. It's just one small, simple, silly, humorous ideal. But there are other serious ones that we allow hatred to well up within us. Because the culture says, hate that person. Hate them. But we need to disagree without division. There are areas where we do need to divide, as I said, when it goes against the word of God. We need to say, hey, I can be in fellowship with you as a brother, but I can't sit under your teaching. See, there's a difference in how we disagree. The second item that we need to see in order to drop the wisdom of this age and embrace truth is the second item of treachery we must see that the Lord hunts down the treachery of wisdom of the age and provides truth. Here Paul is quoting Job 5.13. He's hearkening back to something that is important for the Corinthians to remember or learn. 
And this idea of the wisdom of this age is treacherous to the Lord. Because in Greek, the word for craftiness here is panorchia, which means cunning, trickery, or treachery. The wisdom of this age, the culture with which we live in, is nothing but a crafty, sneaky little devil who brings treachery to the truth of God, seeking to divide, seeking to lie, seeking to lead down a path of ruin rather than a path of connectivity with the Lord. Now, many of you hunters in the room, how many of you are hunters? Raise your hand high, be proud, all right? You're hunters, all right? Here we see you are talked about because the word for catch is a hunting term. The Lord is going after the prey of the craftiness of the wisdom of this age. And now some of you, although you are great hunters, sometimes you let your prey get away, sadly. But the Lord never does. The Corinthian church was corrected, rebuked, and challenged and cha- challenged to change the cultural infiltration of their church. But they neglected to do so. And they fell out of history. The Lord will not let it stand for long. Amen? I don't want us to be the next church that fades out of history. Not just here as Indiana, but the church in America. We can allow the Spirit of God to bring a unity that is antithetical to the secularized culture with which we live in, because the Lord will hunt down the treacherous wisdom of this age, and he always will provide truth. He also then goes on to say, the wisdom of this age is powerless and futile. He says this, for the wisdom of the Lord, the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. They're futile. We cannot allow the wisdom of the age to infiltrate our hearts or our churches. I think that you would agree with me that we've allowed this too long. The third item that we see is security. We must recognize that security and status come from Christ, not man. Security comes from Christ and not man. I think because we live in a very insecure world where everyone is trying to get on top or who's trying to prove their worth or prove their merit, we feel insecure because we don't have enough things. We feel insecure because our parents don't let us have that phone or that app or we feel insecure because, you know, all the things that the world is advertising to us, we we don't have. And we feel insecure. And we seek to find security in our jobs. We seek to find security in our people that are in our lives or the people that we know. Have you ever met someone who's like a name dropper and you're having a conversation with them that has nothing to do with the people that they hang out with? And they're like, well, I hung out with Mario Lemieux seven years ago. I saw him at Don Pablo's. You're like, I don't care. That's how we sound to God all the time when we are boasting in men, when we are trying to find our security in men, that's how we look and how we sound to the Lord. 
Your security is not in your bank account. It's not in your job. It's not in your spouse or your children. It's not in the person that teaches you the most. Your security is in Christ and Christ alone. We cannot boast in men. We cannot allow the secularization to teach us a lie of who we are. We must see what he says about us is true. That we are his children, beloved. That he has died for us to raise us to new life. And we, might, we must not just believe that for ourselves. When, when he says that all of these things are yours, it is a communal yours, not an individual yours. And so as we see that Christ has given us all these things that he has promised, we must look at our brother and sister and say, it's theirs as well. How can we claim superiority when the same things that we have are the same things that they have, right? I mean, that's like saying, well, I got $5 million in my bank account, and the dude next to you is like, so do I. You're like, oh, man, (laughs) nuts. Thought I had them. We need to live with this idea of understanding that everything that Christ has is ours, not just mine. And the fact that you belong to Christ determines your worth. If you belong to Christ, your worth has been settled at the cross. Your purpose, your calling, your life has been settled at the cross. We do not need to find our worth anywhere else. I lived on a hamster wheel of trying to please people. I became exhausted, grumpy, and bitter when someone didn't affirm me the way I felt I needed to be affirmed because I was on this wheel of trying to find my worth in the opinions of others rather than in the opinion of Christ. And I would weigh that same level of affirmation or goodness against other people and think that, man, I am way better than that person because I don't struggle with that. But their worth is settled at the cross. My worth is settled at the cross. The Corinthians felt that who they followed determined their worth, but this was a lie. We all have everything that was Christ's and that we all have Christ's promises to us. I think we need to take time as individuals to go through the Bible and see what does Christ say about me? What are the truths that Christ is whispering to me through the Word of God? You'll see promises. You'll see powerful identifiers of who we really are. And we won't be tricked into trying to identify as anything else but a child of God. Amen? Amen. All He has is ours. Too often we allow culture to dictate how we interact with one another rather than allowing the Spirit of Christ to dictate how we interact with one another. Let me leave you with this. We cannot allow culture to control the church, but rather Christ and His truth should be the controlling agent of everything we do. We should be different, not the same. May we resolve to be people who drop these three aspects of secularization, of this idea of security, 
because we need to stop the sway of the culture invading our church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for this word that Paul has given to the Corinthians. They were allowing the enemy to win in dividing the church. May we push back the darkness and not let the enemy do the same to us. Amen.